Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I want to welcome you to our special series of Money Sense, specifically dedicated to providing valuable information regarding the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. For nearly 30 years, I have been helping listeners learn how to relate many of life's situations to their finances. This pandemic has caused wide-scale disruption in nearly every sector of our lives. No matter your personal situation, we strive to meet you where you are at, both financially and emotionally. Our guests during this series include a futurist, economist, physician, psychologist, as well as local Milwaukee business professionals to get their perspective on how you can apply their insight and expertise to your financial future. This important series will be aired on WISN AM 1130 during our regular Money Sense times, which are Saturdays at 2 o'clock p.m. and Sundays at noon. They will also be available on demand at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. We hope you will find these informative and be sure to share them with your family and your friends. My guest today is attorney Bill Line, and he is with the Line Law Firm, which is located in Mequon, Wisconsin, also in Wipish Bay. And Bill works with many, many, many of our clients. He's worked with me and my family as well. And as I've been looking at some of the things that have been happening with COVID-19 and also my clients and people around me, I recognize that this is the first time, I believe, in the history of our country where collectively all of us have been wondering what happens if we die? What happens if we get sick? What happens if my spouse gets sick or one of my children or my parent? And what will happen to my business? And I bring those things up because all of them have happened. Mm -hmm. Every single one has happened. And one of the things that I am hoping will happen is that a new awareness will form of the importance of, of doing estate planning and the importance of putting things in order. And so Bill has been a guest on the show. We've talked about estate planning, but you know, Bill, um, and welcome to the show. This is the first time that we are talking about estate planning when it is in the midst of all of this catastrophic things that I talked about, these devastating things to families and businesses are all happening right now, right before our eyes. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on your show again. And um, I, I think you're right. This, this COVID-19 <laughs> pandemic, I think, has really um, made the idea of death more tangible in a way to people. And so what I've seen a lot of recently is there's been a lot of activity just in estate planning. People are very interested in getting their affairs in order. Um, a lot of younger people that have, that have kids, and you know, I know younger people don't have the um, same kind of exposure that older people do to COVID-19, apparently. But um, I, I think it's brought, it's brought into focus that you need to do planning at all times in life. If you're young and you have minor children, you, you wanna have simple planning, even just to have guardians appointed if you're gone. Um, so what I've been trying to do a little bit with people is I'm trying to talk them down a little bit from the panic of all of it and 
you know, in just in preparation for today, I, I did some very brief unscientific research. And um, I just I think it's interesting, you know, when you when you watch the news and every newscast has a death count, <laughs> the cases diagnosed and deaths. And then if if you look at the Centers for Disease Control, on average, 7,500 people die every day in the United States. So, you know, it's, it's a staggering number. And I just wonder if they, if they put a death count up every day on the news about just deaths that happen all the time, I think nobody would ever leave their home because it's, it's, it sounds like such a big number. And then additionally, I just looked into, I, I checked this from time to time, uh, CDC, currently has male life expectancy at 76.1 years and female life expectancy at 81.1 years. It, it gives people time to plan generally, but you never know what's going to happen. And I, I think it's just important to, to approach estate planning rationally and, and calmly. If there's an emergency, we can do planning, it's, but it's better to get things put into order when you're healthy and and your faculties are good. Bill, let's take let's just take each one of these categories and talk. I know a lot of them are overlapping, but there are some specific differences. And so you would start it with talking about younger people. And um, one of the things for young people that is absolutely critical is once they reach the age of 18 to have powers of attorney for health care. And this is one of the first times I, I have talked to so many people whose kids are stuck out of the country, whose kids over 18 in that college kind of college age. Some of them are working on cruise ships and they're all stuck on cruise ships, all of these workers and performers. Right. And we've got kids that are that get sick and the parents don't realize that once they turn 18, they cannot make decisions for them, but take it a step further. And all of the, um, they would have to get a guardianship, but all of the state systems are closed down. Yeah, that's, that's very they, true. They, they, they can't go get a guardianship. It's, it's very difficult to interact with the courts right now. Um, you know, on, on some levels you can to some extent, but it's, it's pretty limited. So having, having powers of attorney takes away the need for ever, ever having a guardian appointed for you or your kids. So why don't you, for the sake of just, we'll, st we'll start with the power of attorney for healthcare, the power of attorney for finance. Would you give some um, definition to that? Because it, it does apply all the way through all of the different things that we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So a power of attorney for healthcare is what it sounds like. You, as an individual, you grant somebody named your agent make decisions for you in the event of your incapacity and you can incapacity can be defined in a number of ways in wisconsin generally under a form health care power of attorney a statutory form document drafted essentially by the legislature the document is becomes activated upon two physicians saying that you can no longer process information, evaluate information and make decisions for yourself in a healthcare setting. So once the document's activated, your agent has the ability to make, to make decisions for you in keeping with what you outline in the document. 
there are a few standard questions under uh, under Wisconsin Healthcare Power of Attorney uh, under the statutory form document. Uh, one one question is: May your agent admit you to a nursing home if need be? Another question is: May your agent admit you to a community-based residential facility if need be? And so people know generally what a, a nursing home is. A community-based residential facility um, is a, a facility with more limited care, less hours of skilled care per month for, for each resident. Um, so it gives your agent the flexibility to pay, pick maybe the most cost-effective means of, of taking care of you in the event you do have to go to one of these institutions. And then, oh, go ahead, Karen. Well, on the, on the power of attorney, just so that listeners really get it, it's anyone who is over age 18, no one can make a decision for them without this document. So when I was helping my parents, who they were at that point, probably in their 70s, my mother said to me, I don't need that document. I can do anything I want with your dad. I've been married to him for 45 years or something. And I said, not really, mom, not legally you can't. And so I would, I would just throw this out there. Anyone who has an adult child, I have an unmarried adult child, um, and he needs a power of attorney for health care. And he's going to be 49 years old, but he still needs it if he wants me to be able to do anything. The same would be for, I've got three grandchildren that are over 18. And each one of those grandchildren need a document in place to help them. And there's also documents that are really critically important to take a look at with your attorney, with Bill, who's done several of these for us, if you have a child with special needs. Absolutely. Um, planning for special needs is, is a, a really growing field. Um, normally, if, if you want to establish um, some kind of vehicle to take care of somebody with, with a disability, a special need, um, we can put in place documents that address that. Normally, they're called supplemental needs trusts that um, funds are placed into the trust and they can benefit uh, a, a a beneficiary that you name, somebody with a special need, and um, the the assets in that trust can be used to supplement a governmental benefit without replacing it. So if it's a means-tested governmental program that an individual is qualifying for or qualified for, the trust can be constructed in such a way that we can enrich the individual's life, provide for experiences, travel, uh, niceties that government programs won't pay for, but allow the government program to pay for the items it will pay for, treatment, housing, things like that, that are already provided for under a variety of governmental programs. But primarily we're talking about Title 19 programs. Bill, one of the other things before we take our break is that almost always you draft documents for our clients, their adult children and children that would benefit and need these types of documents. But if you have children in another state, you know, or grandchildren in another state, they can download those documents. We like to do them, have you do them personally, because if you don't do them right, you're in a position where you can't change it. And so we wanna make sure it's done right. But there are documents that can be downloaded, especially with the healthcare power, right? Yeah, the Department of Health Services in Wisconsin on their website, you can download 
statutory form, power of attorney for healthcare. You can download financial power of attorney documents as well. If so, if, if nothing else, it's a good thing to do those documents, follow the instructions and you should have an effective document. I think it's good though to talk, it's good to have counsel on those, on those documents, just so you can talk through the options and the ramifications of, of what you're doing. And every state does have forms like that. Correct. That Absolutely, yeah. Every state, every jurisdiction has their own documents and they're all available. My guest today is attorney Bill Line, and he is located right in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, both in Mequon and in Whitefish Bay. And if you would like to run by him some questions, you could do that at 262-241-3113. And what a perfect time to review your documents. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group, as well as a senior wealth advisor. My guest today is attorney Bill Line. He is located in Mequon, as well in Whitefish Bay, and he works with many of our clients. And so it's always a pleasure, Bill, having you to come and be on Money Sense to provide education around what I consider is the foundation of every investment strategy is the estate plan. And what I'd like to talk about in this period, this section, is husband and wives or partners or anyone who is depending that there's someone there that's going to step up to the plate and, and take care of them. And we're going to do elder care in the next segment. So this would just be partners or husband and wives. And as my mother said, you know, I don't have to have a power of attorney for your dad. I can do anything I want with him. Well, of course, that wasn't true. And it seems like it's funny to say it now, but the truth of it is, is at that time it wasn't funny because my mother thought she was right. And it took a lot of convincing to, to tell her that a marriage certificate isn't a legal document to make decisions. And so if you could talk about, we talked a little bit in the break about digital property, about the powers of attorney um, for finance, People need the power of attorney for healthcare, but now we're moving into another document and trusts and wills. And if you don't have an estate plan, you actually do. It's the one that the government has for you because property has to be dispersed when you die. And so Bill, can you talk a little bit about a different way? I say a better way of doing it. Absolutely. So starting with powers of attorney for finance, Powers of attorney for finance are the companion piece to a power of attorney for healthcare. And they're really derived from, from guardianship proceedings. If, if you had no documents and you became disabled, unable to make your own decisions, and somebody went to the court, you know, an interested person, a spouse, a child, they could petition the court to be named your guardian. They've broken guardianships into two separate pieces. One is a guardianship of the person, meaning the physical person, and then the, which is addressed by a power of attorney for healthcare document. And power of attorney for finances directs the same kinds of decisions that can be made by a guardian of your estate. So if you have a power of attorney for finances and a power of attorney for healthcare document in place and it's properly executed with the right terms in it, there would never be a need to have to go before a court to have a guardian named for you. They're really important documents. Guardianships are painful proceedings, they're emotional proceedings. 
Um, and they're expensive to hire competent legal representation to, to take you through the guardianship. Um, it's, it's not inexpensive. Power of attorney documents are very easy to put in place. They're, they're very powerful documents. So you wanna be sure you're naming good agents that can make decisions for you properly in keeping with your wishes. Financial document does exactly what it sounds like. You, you as an individual, if you're incapacitated, um, or even if you're out of town, if you're traveling, you can put a document in place for a period of time. But generally we're talking about a document that is activated upon incapacity, where an agent can make decisions for you on, on your individually owned assets. So a, a real important asset would be something like a retirement account, an IRA or a 401k, a 403b, all of those kinds of accounts. If you're over 72, you have to take required minimum distributions from, from those retirement accounts generally. If you're incapacitated, you don't have the ability to take distributions and no one else does unless you have a guardian appointed or you have named an agent under a power of attorney for, for finances. So having that kind of document in place can avoid tax penalties, it can provide access to your retirement assets and, and other funds as well. An agent can generally act on, on all of your assets for your benefit. So it doesn't give the agent the ability to act on their own behalf, but rather to take care of you with your own assets. And that's, those are lifetime documents. Bill, when we talk about one of the things that I notice so often that's out of sync with people's plans, is the fact that they don't realize that on their annuities, on their IRAs, on the title to their home, um, their insurance, those are um, savings bonds, those are all assets that pass outside of a traditional estate plan because they're beneficiary designated. The same would be true on however your, your money and your account or your certificates of deposit are titled at a bank. I don't think that people really understand the legalities and the importance of reviewing the titles of property. Because again, I have a client right now that's 92 year old aunt fell, um, was unconscious and is struggling and he can't get into the safety deposit box. The bank will not go and talk to her. Um, nobody will, nobody will go and talk to her. They said, we're not going until this whole thing is over. And so if she dies, it is an absolute nightmare. That, that's true. I, title controls so much of, of property rights. Who can act on assets is generally dictated by titling. So if you have a depository account and just your name is on it, that's your individual asset and, and you can act on it. If you become incapacitated, without a power of attorney document, no one else can act on it. I, I think a good example you raised already is a safe deposit box. A lot of times clients will do their estate plan and they'll ask, where should I store the documents? We, we, give, you, we give clients direction on that, but in a signing meeting, they might say, okay, where should we keep these? Should we put them in our safe deposit box? Well, that's fine, you can do that, but you, you should make sure then that that whoever you want to take care of your affairs, your agents, your successor trustees, your personal representatives, all those individuals 
they need to be able to access the safe deposit box. So their name needs to be on the account agreement. Otherwise, we could put together a really nice plan. You put it in your safe deposit box with just your name <laughs> on it, and no one can access it without a court order. So then we have to go to court. And essentially, in some situations, it's just easiest then to commence a brief probate proceeding and get, get to the, the safe deposit box contents. But it's really a waste of money and time to, to have to go through that when proper titling can, can address it all. Bill, another situation came up just recently. A client said to me, my mom called me with this whole COVID thing. My mom called me and she wants to make sure that my name is on the account at the bank. And I said, well, do you have any other, you know, I knew your siblings. I said, is this just going to be for you? He said, well, no, it's around $200,000, but I'm going to give them their share. And I said, ooh, it doesn't work that way. No. <laughs> That's a bad idea. But we're going to take a break and you're going to come back and talk to us about that very bad idea. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I am the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And as you can tell, I am very passionate about estate planning. And I've done my own and we've done our family. And we encourage and make sure that every single employee that works for us has an estate plan and does at a, you know really good tax planning. And so if you're an employer out there, if you're a parent, um, if you're a grandparent, a great gift is giving an estate plan to somebody. It truly is. My guest today is attorney Bill Line. He is with the Line Law Firm and that is at 7105 West Mequon Road. Also, he is in Whitefish Bay. And Bill, that what I talked about with my client and he said, no, she trusts me and I'm going to give that money to my, my brother and sister. And I said, well, it doesn't really work that way. Can you say why that's a bad idea and why it doesn't really work that way? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a bad idea on a number of fronts. Um, one is, you know, simply titling assets in the name of a child, what you're doing just by that act is exposing the assets to the threats that your child has in a creditor sense. So if a child were having financial problems, maybe gets sued or has an accident and gets sued, the asset that you jointly titled could be available to their creditors to satisfy claims. So it, when people get older, they, you know, they're trying to address their estate planning issues. Sometimes they're trying to be very economical about it and they, they come up with that idea. Let's just add our, one of the kids' names on and they'll take care of it after we're gone. That may or may not work. Um, and I, I would tend to say that having a competent plan in place is a, is a far better method of transferring assets to, to your beneficiaries. Uh, another, another thing people do, you'll see during lifetime, um, mom and dad with really good intentions will have a, they'll go to an attorney and they'll say, oh, I'd like to transfer my, my house to my kid's name. Again, that's a really easy thing to do. Drafting a deed to transfer real estate to your kids, you really don't even need an attorney. Drafting a deed is pretty easy, but the legal effect can be very bad and there's a tax impact as well. When, when mom and dad make that transfer, so they sign a quit claim deed and now the three kids own the real estate. Now you've exposed the real estate, the value of it to the three kids' creditors and 
their general liabilities. And that, that can be bad in and of itself. There's a question about how do you have insurance on that property? Can the kids really buy homeowner's insurance with the parents living there? It probably changes the nature of the policy. A lot of times this is done without the parents telling the insurance company that a transfer was made and they keep insuring the property. I wouldn't guarantee that you have coverage in, in those settings for a loss at the property. And then the, the other big picture problem with that is um, something called income tax cost basis that Karen, I know you're very familiar with, but when you acquire an asset, uh, your acquisition value is your cost basis for income tax purposes. And then when you go to sell the property, if the property is worth more, there's generally a capital gain on that property. And that capital gain is taxed by the federal government. So how that impacts state planning is that when, when you make a gift of property during your lifetime, the people you give the gift to receive that property with your income tax cost basis. If you give property to somebody at death, they receive the property with your date of death value as the income tax cost basis. So how it works in practice is mom and dad bought a property 40 years ago for $100,000 and they give it to the kids during life. Kids have a $100,000 basis. Mom and dad pass away. Kids sell the property and they sell it for $400,000. There'd be a $300,000 taxable gain. If mom and dad had waited to transfer the property uh, to the kids at death under the terms of their will or their revocable trust, the kids would receive the property with the date of death value, $400,000, being the income tax cost basis. The kids could go then sell the property and not incur a capital gains tax at all. So making lifetime gifts can be very detrimental to your beneficiaries, which are generally the people you're trying to protect the most. So just get, it's good to have guidance on what you're doing, at least know what, what you're getting into when you make those transfers. Bill, another thing that I see happen very often is people don't really understand the consequences of passing their legacy down to their children. And often what we're talking about is their property and their investments. And very often they, what they wanna do is they want that money to go to their children to enhance their lives, not to diminish their lives. And very often, and we know that in many families, there's different types of addictions and illnesses and things that are going on. And if you haven't planned for that, that money can go to children and, and really um, have, a, have not have a positive effect. But I've seen things that happen so easily and, and it's really, um, you wouldn't think that it would be a problem, but very often children will inherit money and they'll say, I'm gonna pay off my house or I'm gonna buy a new house. And they take their inheritance and they go buy a house and five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, they get divorced and now they've lost half of their inheritance. Or there's a bankruptcy, uh, one of the spouses starts a business and now they use that money and now it's bankrupt. Are there alternatives, and of course you know I know this, what are the alternatives that people sure. can do to avoid passing money to children 
and it not staying within that bloodline and it not staying protected. And that's a lot of what we do. We put in place plans to transfer assets at death to your beneficiaries. Normally, we're working in the world of trusts, revocable trusts, irrevocable trusts, a variety of kinds of trusts. What we've focused on over the last, oh, five to 10 years are creditor protection trusts for your kids. The idea with those trusts is that you, you leave assets to your children rather than outright, you leave the assets to the child in trust. And the trust goes on for the lifetime of the child. It can go on for, it can go on generationally if you choose to do that. But just talking about your children, you leave your assets to your children in a trust for each of them, equal shares to each child, and each child has their own trust. If a child is really prudent with money and you have faith in them, you can even have the child act as their own trustee. So they can make all the decisions regarding the assets, the investments, who's gonna handle the investments for the trust, um, and, and how distributions will be taken. If you have less than 100% confidence in a child's ability to manage assets, we can put in place others, third parties to act as, as trustees or co-trustees along with the child so that there's a check on bad decision-making. And th those trusts have become a huge, a huge tool, a lot of leverage that we've been using over the last number of years. Um, for in the example you were talking about, um, you leave money to a child and they, they buy a house and then they sell the house you know, with, with a spouse and then they buy another house. Those assets get commingled over time and it's hard to discern whose property is whose. And if there's a divorce, it, the starting point would be that the property gets divided 50-50 under statute. That's what the law says. And then you have to argue from there to prove what's yours. So we don't want to have arguments. If you leave the property in a lifetime trust for a child, then the child could perhaps borrow money from the trust to purchase the home. And we've been involved in those plans, Karen, where we actually construct a promissory note secured by a mortgage to, to take the money out of the trust to buy a home. The spouses can live in it, but if there's a divorce, the house is sold, the mortgage will have to be satisfied and the money paid back to the trust. And so it's not we, complicated. It's not complicated. It's it not. sounds like it might be. It's a simple document. Where it starts is that you being able to talk to your attorney, talk to your advisor about what's important to you. And once we know what's important to you, we can create the type of protection that you're looking for. So just to, just to sort of um, talk about what we just mentioned, if you're worried or if there's a potential that there could be a divorce, if one of your children or your beneficiaries is a business owner and there's always risk within business, if any of your children or grandchildren have health issues or addictions, if they're not good stewards of money, talk about it and put together a document that is going to be there for the purpose of what you want. So when I talk to my kids and they're gonna inherit money, I said, I don't want you to inherit money to pay your electric bill. I want it to enhance your life. And so, and I do want the money to stay in my bloodline. And I've told my children, you have to get life insurance for your spouses. So that they, they'll say, well, can't we give it to the spouse? No, 
you take care of your spouse and get life insurance. So there are some things depending on what's important to you. We're going to take a quick break. We want to talk about um, a little bit about digital property. We want to talk about um, making sure that someone actually has all of your codes and passwords. We want to um, talk about um, family meetings, which I think are critical because you know, nobody wants to talk about the elephant in the room. And with that, we'll be back. My guest today is attorney Bill Line. He is with the Line Law Firm. And if you would like to reach him, you can go to www.line-law.com or go to 262-241-3113. Bill, I've got a lot of things that I would like you to speak on, but one of the things that I've dealt with, I've had two clients that have passed away during this COVID and both of them had unique situations. Uh, both of them though knew that the parents were failing and actually before the COVID hit, um, they had already become trustees on their parents' documents. One client's wife had passed away and we had to change those powers of attorney for healthcare because the other spouse wasn't there and if had been would not have been adequate to be able to do that and then also for family and parents and if they do have a trust you may want to be a co-trustee or a trustee of those accounts to make it simple if something happens like this you don't have to scramble yeah i i agree um tr well trusteeship under trust is really the most i think the most important part of a trust. If you don't have a good trustee, you really don't have anything. Um, so naming the right people to act for you or with you as a trust, a successor trustee or your co-trustee is really important. Um, you know, we see a lot of times when clients get older, they might still have capacity, but they might decide to resign as trustee of their own revocable trust and let their successor, maybe it's a child, maybe it's somebody else, maybe it's a trust company, a, a corporate entity like a bank or, or a private trust company to act as a trustee, to pay their bills, to take care of things. We see that a lot and I'm seeing it a lot more as the population tends to live longer. We have a lot of much older, much older clients now. And so having the right trustee is, is key to making the plan work. Succession of trustees, I think you're getting at very well. Normally, mom and dad name each other, and then maybe they, they name a child as a, as a successor if, if one of them's incapacitated and the other is unable to act. But maybe you need more succession than that. Maybe you want to go a, a couple levels down, and maybe you want to have a fallback of a, of a corporate fiduciary as well to act on financial matters. Um, the, doing that will ensure that you always have a decision maker. If you don't, we could end up back in a guardianship setting or a court setting on powers of attorney. In the trust world, you could end up having to go to a court to seek approval of an appointment of a successor trustee if you don't have successors named appropriately. And then that leads to just the idea of estate planning. I don't, I don't look at it as a transaction. It's, it's really a process and it, it never ends. It, it's, you know, we need to review things. Um, 
you know, as, as life and law dictates, and sometimes just as the calendar dictates, I would say everybody should be looking at their, their estate plan documents every three to five years. Um, if there's a change in your life, if there's a, a death, a birth, a divorce, an illness, all of those, those life cycle events really probably call for a review of your estate plan documents. It's hard to remember what you put in place a few years ago. If the law changes, and the law has been changing a lot over the last 15 years, there have been so many changes to laws that impact taxes, estates, and, and trusts in particular. So, you know, we try to stay on top of it. A, a, good, a good law firm is going to notify you when there's a change in law. Um, I know Ellen Becker Investment Group reaches out to clients to tell them when, when things are happening in, in law and to give them reminders about, about planning for their families. Um, so making sure your documents are up to date, reflecting the realities today, today are really important. We, we try to build in contingencies, but we can't forecast everything that can happen. Bill, what about digital property and passwords? We'll just touch on that briefly to let people know that it's an important issue that they need to be aware of. Yeah, well, Wisconsin passed something called the Digital Property Act in 2015, and it's, it's a very common act around the country. Um, I think almost all jurisdictions now have one form or another of a digital property act. And essentially what it is is a, a, a body of law that dictates uh, who can access and how, how digital property may be used. In the event of your incapacity, it is very, or death, it is very important that your documents are modern. And if you're a Wisconsin resident, that probably means drafted after 2015 to address having power to act on digital property. This can be online accounts, gaining access to passwords um, for financial institutions. For business owners, it can mean accessing um, business documents, business online information, domains, websites, all those kinds of things that can really have value. Um, intellectual property of a, of a small business can be very important. Uh, it can be financially important uh, in conducting a sale of the property, of the business eventually. It can be reputationally important to make sure that the, the website is secure and that nothing strange is going on, nothing nefarious is going on with the website after um, a business owner passes away and he isn't minding the store any longer or becomes incapacitated. So having documents, both financial powers of attorney and revocable trust plans that address digital property specifically is very important. In a trust setting without, without proper powers, your successor trustee really does not have have the power to access your digital assets. Bill, we don't have too much time left and two of the issues that I would like to talk about is um, we're not gonna have enough time to talk about businesses, but one of the important things to be aware of is that you wanna have your succession plan and your business plan in alignment with your estate plan. And I guess I would just ask, we've heard about so many people that have been on respirators. They were well one day, 
jogging and then they're on a respirator and there you're incapacitated. So I guess I would just say to my listeners, ask yourself, what would you have done if it was your parent, if it was your spouse, if it was one of your children on that respirator? Do you know who your first call would be? Do you know what's in your documents? Do you know the rights that you have? Do you know what you can do? How can you protect your family and your business? And for a business owner, think about if it's the, you're called to a meeting and it's the last meeting um, that you've had and you realize that you're actually in a meeting watching your family as it's the first time they've met to go over your documents and your death. And are they celebrating life or are they like turtles on their back and they don't have a clue what's going on? They don't know who to trust. They don't know what is gonna happen either to their own personal finances, to their business. I mean, it can be an absolute disaster and all of that can really be handled by some really good planning that takes in mind and drafts what you really want to happen with, with those documents. I would also say that it's really important to have that family meeting, the elephant in the room. I was talking to a psychologist the other day and one of the sad things about people dying and dying alone is that so often at the end of someone's life, they reconnect and they, and they talk about the things that are sad and the things that the regrets and, and they come to a peace and a peaceful meeting around all of this. I say the elephants in the room and without having that happen, there's so much discontent. So if you have elephants in your room, if you've got those situations, give us a call. You can call Bill. And again, his number is 262-241-3113. Call me, call the Ellen Becker Investment Group at 262-691-3200. And just sit down and talk with us and we'll help you come to a good place, a place where you can meet as a family, where you can have these discussions. You can have peace of mind during your life. Thank you, Bill. And uh, have a really great day. Thank you for tuning in to our COVID-19 edition of Money Sense. Our goal is to provide valuable information so that you can feel more confident in your financial decisions. You can listen to this show and any that you may have missed at ellenbecker.com slash money sense or on Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. To discuss these topics and more with one of our wealth advisors, call us at 262 691 3200 or visit ellenbecker.com for a complimentary consultation.